So, it's a new year, and um, we're starting a new series. We deliberated over as to whether or not we should continue to kind of look at some topical messages, and we decided against that because we've been doing that since August, since when we finished our series in Philippians. And so we thought, you know what, let's just get back to the solid and rooted and grounded um, direction that the Word of God provides for us. And so um, we felt it apt to start a new series, and I'm going to read from the book that we're going to be going through, um, which is 1 Corinthians, and we're going to start in chapter 1, which is the obvious place to start. And um, I'm going to read the first few verses, and then I'm, I'm going to pray. I would ask you to turn there, because what I haven't been able to do is I'm, I'm not able to put up all the slides that I need to put up and put up the text when I need to. So and we're only going to be looking at a few verses. So if you could turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and then meet me there, then that would be a blessing. 1 Corinthians 1. Now, I am going to put the text up initially. And I might put it up a little later on, but <clears throat> let's read it together, and then we'll pray. Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Shall we pray? Father, thank you so much for your word. It's the only solid ground upon which we can stand. Heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will never pass away. Father, would you help us in 2020 to have 2020 vision as far as your word is concerned, in order that it might not just be words on a page or words on a screen, but Father, it would be information that would bring about transformation in our lives personally and in our life as a church corporately, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, Corinthians, you know, Paul writes letters throughout the New Testament, sometimes to individuals and then sometimes to whole churches. And I'm saying this is um, a church that is in a place called Corinth, uh, which is in kind of southern Greece. And <clears throat> Corinth, in terms of the city, was famous for its, its intellectual and also its material prosperity. And it also, which normally comes in conjunction with that, um, intellectualism and material prosperity, it was also famous for its corruption. One commentator described them as a word that we don't use today. I looked, actually looked at a graph of from the 18th century up to the 21st century, and it was used a lot in the 18th century, and then you watch the graph and it's hardly ever used, so you probably would have, would have never heard of it. One commentator described the, the Corinthian church as profligate or profligate. I don't know if you've ever heard that word. Um, well, the definition is it means reckless extravagance 
or wastefulness in the use of resources. Someone who, believe, who behaves in a way that is morally wrong or who spends and wastes a lot of money. It can also mean corruption, as I mentioned, debauchery, depravity, immorality, iniquity, licentiousness, sin, vice. Sounds a lot like the 21st century to me. You know what I'm saying? The 21st century Western world, at least. Um, but all the other places in the world are catching up with the West. Everybody wants to have what the West has materially, you know what I'm saying? And, you know, back in them days, if someone called you a Corinthian, they weren't paying you a compliment. So here in southern Greece, around 55 AD, we have a church that's made up, that's made up of people from this context. So hopefully you're already beginning to get an idea of what the people obviously are like. But then if the church that's in this place is made up of people from that context, then you get a picture of what the church looks like. And it would not be unfair to say the first century church in Corinth is really not that far removed from the 21st century church in a place like London, in a place like Lewisham, in a church like a place like Ecclesia. And the members of this church, they're not doing a good job at representing the God that saved them. They act more like those from the kingdom that they came out of. Remember, they were in the kingdom of darkness, but now they're in the kingdom of light. But they don't act like children of light, but they act more like children of darkness. Another common biblical phrase um, for Corinthian behavior is worldly or fleshly or a translation, and it's the one that I'm going to use, it's the NIV, talks about being a mere human. Ain't no difference, ain't no difference between you and you inside the church and those outside the church. I'm not saying. If someone calls you as a Christian, you act like a mere human, that's, 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 that's slanderous. You know what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's not becoming of a believer if someone says, well, I don't see no difference between you and, you know what I'm saying? What, you're Christian now? What? You ain't no different to where you was before you. So if, if anything, you, you, you're actually worse because... You're full of pride and arrogance, you know what I'm saying, on top of all that other stuff that I still see in you every day, says a parent to a child that says they're a Christian, you know what I'm saying, says a child to a parent that says they're a Christian, you know what I'm saying, uh, that a sibling turns and, and says to another sibling, you know what I'm saying, or a work colleague turns around and may not say it, because you know, like, kind of keep it professional in those categories, right? So they'll look, but they won't say it, but they will say it <laughs> around the corner or they'll just say it in their mind. You know what I mean? Just a mere human. You know what I'm saying? The Bible says, if any man be in Christ or woman, they are what? A new creation, like a new creature. You're something that didn't exist before. Such, is, such should be the transformation from dark to light, from mere human to spiritual 
spirit-filled, quote-unquote, Christ-following disciple. There should be a, a disciple. But these believers, are, they're quite immature. And part of Paul's sentiment throughout this book um, is the need for these believers to move from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. Hence, um, the title for this new series that we're doing is called Grow Up. And um, if you look at our splash for this series, you can see an individual moving from infancy, a little baby, and I'm saying to kind of adolescence, moving up into maturity. And, um, and that's what we're hoping, isn't it? We're hoping that as believers that we are growing. You know what I'm saying? We never get to a point where we arrive. How many of you know that doesn't happen until, until we're glorified, until, you know what I'm saying, until we're completely and totally, absolutely transformed. Maybe I'll talk a little bit about that in a moment with regards to um, where we're going in the sense that where we're going ought to affect the way we live, you know what I'm saying, currently. Our future destination ought to be something that has impact in the, in the, in the present with regards to where we're going in the future. Does that, does that make sense? So um, we want to be growing up, particularly throughout this next possibly six months to a year, and um, because we're contemplating, rather than taking massive chunks of the text, just doing small portions, because you know that we're trying to make a commitment to be finished our services by one o'clock. Um, and so um, probably going to be looking at smaller sections as opposed to larger sections of the book. And so therefore, it will take us a little while to get through it. Um, and we need it. I mean, I say we need it. Can I speak for myself? I say, I know I need it. How do you feel? Do you feel like you need it or do you feel like you've arrived? You feel like you're there. Yeah. Amen. Amen. A part of our growth and developing it is the fact that we need to, is that we know that we need to be growing and developing. So, um, 1 Corinthians um, chapter 3, which is obviously a, a few chapters down, begins to describe this need for growth and maturity. 1 Corinthians 3, um, starting at verse 3. Paul says, notice, brothers and sisters, you know what I'm saying? The appeal from Paul's point of view is that even though, even though you're not, you don't look like it, you know what I'm saying? Paul is saying, I recognize that you're believers, you know what I'm saying? And immediately you can begin to see where he's going. It's like brothers and sisters, and it's not even like he's sweetening, us, he's sweetening up the hearers initially. This is a fact. This is, you know what I'm saying? You're genuine believers, but there's this need for growth. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't say, boy, well, I don't really see you growing, so I wonder if really you're a brother or a sister or if you're a Christian. I mean, Paul was the one who planted this church. You know what I'm saying? And so he knows the people personally, again, but he sees this need for growth. Brothers and sisters, he says, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still, notice, worldly and mere infants in Christ. He says, I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. Indeed, you're still not ready. <laughs> you're not ready, you know. You're still worldly, for since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like, notice, 
mere humans. It's a slight. Now, how many of you would agree that, by the sounds of it, potentially, there is much that we as a church can possibly learn from this book? So, Paul says, 1 Corinthians chapter chapter 1. Just go back. So, hopefully, look in your Bible with me. It starts off by saying, chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, called to be an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and our brother Sosthenes. So the author's stated quite clearly. You know what I'm saying? I've heard it said that in all of um, Paul's letters, he always starts off the same way with himself. You know what I'm saying? Paul. And, <clears throat> and, and this, is, this, is a, this is a typical... Um, ancient first century greeting in that it's opposite to the way we do things. If, if we send a text or write a letter, normally what we do is we put the recipient first, then we will put the greeting. You know, um, we'll do the recipient first, write the letter, then we'll do a greeting, and then we'll, we'll say our name, kind of typically speaking. Um, in the first century, it was the other way around. First of all, they start with their name and not your name. You know what I'm saying? And then they go to the recipient and then they'll give the greeting. So that's what we see in verse 1, the name. And then two, verse 2 is the recipient who's receiving um, the letter. And three, verse 3, the greeting. And, and Paul is an apostle. And he's an apostle, big A, capital A apostle, which speaks about his identity and also his authority. Remember, Paul was a little bit unlike the other apostles in kind of two ways. One way in a major sense. One he didn't come from Jerusalem or even Israel in the strict sense. He was a Jew, but how many of you know Paul came from where? He came from Tarsus, you know what I'm saying? Which is, which is um, it, um, I've talked, I, don't think it's, I don't think Tarsus is Turkey, it's more, it's more northern Syria. Yeah, so um, he, he does obviously visit Turkey on his missionary journeys, but he's a bit like Barnabas. And I'm saying Barnabas comes from Cyprus, which is where they go on their first missionary journey. And they are unlike like the apostles who, you know what I'm saying, are very um, Jewish. <laughs> Paul is familiar with, 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 with Grecian culture, like in a sense, like he's a Hellenist because he can speak, you know what I'm saying, Greek. And he's familiar with Greek. It's like... People like Paul and Barnabas, you know what I'm saying? It's like they don't listen to the same kind of music that, you know what I'm saying, the apostles who are from Jerusalem who are Jewish, you know what I'm saying, tend to listen to. They listen to, you know what I'm saying, they're familiar with art apart from, you know what I'm saying, just Jewish art. Like they may dress different. They, they, their accent might sound a little bit different. So there's a distinction between the apostles, you know what I'm saying, kind of strictly speaking, who are with Jesus versus um, someone like Paul, you know what I mean? And it's no great surprise that the Lord sends Peter to the Jews, you know what I'm saying? Because he can relate to the Jews more so. You see a lot of this come up in Acts 15 with the whole drama, you know what I'm saying, about going to the Gentiles and how that's a problem. Paul now, on the other hand, he gets sent to who? To preach the gospel? The Gentiles. And, so, and it makes sense. And, and, and when we say that, 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 that Paul, if you like, um, 
was an, is, is, is an apostle. He's slightly distinct in that sense. And then we'd also say that Paul is slightly distinct because <clears throat> he didn't roll with the disciples with Jesus in a strict sense, in a specific sense, did he? Like, he only got to meet the apostles after Jesus' death. In 1 Corinthians 15, listen to what he says. He says, For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, who is who? Peter. That's Peter. That's an AKA. Then by the twelve... After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep. That means some of them have died. Verse 7. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Now notice verse 8. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one notice, born out of due time. I'm trying to say that. Paul's identity and also authority is consistent with the other disciples, although he never moved with them. And the big condition to be one of those, like, capital A apostles was that you had to have seen Jesus, you know what I'm saying, in terms of his, you know what I'm saying, his life and his resurrection. And, and people would look at Paul and say, yeah, ain't really an apostle. But he's like, you know what I am? Because although I was born out of due time, I wasn't with the batch, you know what I'm saying? I did see Jesus. And when did he see Jesus? Remember on the road to Damascus. Amen. You know what I'm saying? He got to see Jesus, you know what I'm saying, in all his glory to the point where he was blinded by the glory, like lick off his horse. And he met, he, he met Jesus. And so um, there's a little bit in terms of his identity, but also his authority as an apostle. But he's writing this letter now, um, not only to... Um, on, on, on his own behalf, he's, he's got some help. Uh, he's got this brother called Sosthenes, right? Now, Sosthenes um, is someone who turns up a little bit earlier in Acts chapter 18, which is pretty much when the church in Corinth was planted. It was after Paul went to Athens and he came down south, you know what I'm saying, and came to Corinth. And whilst he was there, he met this brother. It says in Acts chapter 18, verse 1, After these things, Paul departed from Athens and went south down to Corinth and then dropped down to verse 16. It says, And he drove them from the judgment seat. There was a lot of drama in Acts chapter 18. And then all the Greeks took notice, Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him before the judgment seat. But Gallio took no notice of these things. So basically there was this big uproar, big holy drama, and they bring out the, the ruler of the synagogue um, because he gets hold, held responsible for what was going on. And at this point, he ain't a believer. But when Paul writes 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Sosthenes is a believer. He's a brother now. And so it seems as if he's got saved over a process of time. You know what I'm saying? He's converted. And notice he's the ruler, or was, the ruler of the synagogue which is a place that Paul always went to first. Although he went, he went, he, so Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. He'd always, whenever he went to a particular place, he'd always go, first of all, to the synagogue to speak to the Jews because the gospel is to the Jew first, then also to the Greek. And, <clears throat> and so he's got this relationship with the ruler of the synagogue. The ruler of the synagogue, after a while, gets converted. And now he's a friend, if you like, and colleague of Paul's. And the thing is, Paul ain't from Corinth. So he... 
Do you know how long he spent there when he planted the church? 18 months. So he only got to know them for a year and a half. But how many of you know Sosthenes, he's from them ends. And he knows the church. So when Paul is writing to them in Corinth, he's saying, look, it's me writing. I'm an apostle. I have got authority. You know what I'm saying? But I'm also going to haul out my boy Sosthenes and let you know that he's with me. You know what I'm saying? And everything I say, he's saying amen to. And he knows you because he's from Corinth. So when, you, when they get the letter, they're like, oh, boy, it's from Paul. But Paul really don't know where I'm going. But then it says, oh, and Sosthenes. Okay, then. All right, then. Yeah, my man knows what's going on. So they can't front now is basically the point. You know what I'm saying? And probably Paul dictated the letter to Sosthenes, who actually probably penned it. As you know, that happened in quite a few of Paul's different letters. You know what I'm saying? And... And Sosthenes probably had great influence also on the Jewish believers. Again, he was the ruler of the synagogue, right? So the influence that Paul wants to have in this church that's in Corinth, that's made up of both Jews and Gentiles, is such that <clears throat> it actually even goes above and beyond even Paul's authority. So that's the author. And, and, and verse 2, who are the recipients? It says, to the church of God in Corinth. Now, does it say to Paul's church? Now, Paul planted a church, but it ain't his church. It's the church of God, isn't it? And in similar fashion, you know what I'm saying? It's like, I try to refrain from saying that Ecclesia is my church. I tend to say in the context of it's the church that I attend, but you lot ain't mine. And I'm saying you belong to the Lord Jesus. And it's always good and helpful for us to remember that. I was reminded of this just before Christmas. You know in them times when you're tired and you're weary, you know what I mean? And I felt like... How do I say this? Without being off-key but honest. You know when... You know when you could just easily just say, boy, today, Lord, you know, I just want to go somewhere where I can, just be, I can just be watered. I'm dry right now. I just, could, could I just go sit down somewhere where somebody would just rub my head for me? <laughs> you ever had a head massage? Now, I'm a man. I often would give a man a massage, like, for free, you know. I'll just roll up on a brother and just give him a nice little massage. And people are like, boy, Pastor Rob, if you're ever out of a job, pastorally, you know what I'm saying, you can get a job as a masseuse. Um, and, 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 and that's how I felt. I just felt like, Lord, you know what? I don't feel like giving to nobody right now. I, I, I feel like I, want, I, I could do with some blessing right now, Lord. That's how I feel. You know what I mean? And it was a thing where I just felt like the Lord said to me, Robert, you know the church, yeah? I'd be like, yeah. yeah. Um, you know, I love the church. The church is my bride. Robert, you know that I... I did, did you forget that I, I, I shed my blood for the church, for my church? And it's funny, just in a moment where I felt low, so lethargic and just rinsed, and I just felt like, boy, wow. Well, Lord, if you love the church like that, even if I can't say... I'm desperately and overwhelmingly in love. I'm feeling very romantic about the church right now. You do. 
You know what I mean? And it was just enough impetus to get me through what was a very, very difficult Christmas period. You know what I'm saying? It was back to back. And it's been a back to back year that is 2019. You know what I'm saying? And I'm sure some of you, you know what I'm saying because it was the same experience for you too. And, um, but I was reminded, like we are in verse 2 here, the church is the Lord's, you know what I'm saying? And uh, thank God that when I am not able to be, when Bertram, you know what I'm saying, when Mikey P, when Richard, Uncle Neil, when Pastor E, when, when we are not able to, to be what you would desire for us to be, you know what I'm saying? How many of you know? I mean, we're shepherds, right? But how many of you know the Lord is your shepherd? You know what I mean? And because of that, you shall not want. And I think a part of our growth and development is going to be us coming to a place where we understand that to the point where you won't feel like I felt. You won't feel about me like I felt about you. Like, rah, cha, can't be bothered to go to that church no more, you know. Done with that church. Tired of that church. Fed up of that church. You know what I mean? Like 15 years down the road and, and what? Ain't got nothing to show. What, what is this? You know what I'm saying? Especially when you start comparing ourselves among ourselves in terms of different churches. You can't be like, where's the online presence? You know what I'm saying? Where's the, like, I go online and oh, I see these pastors and I see these preachers and it's powerful and it's impressive. <laughs> you, see, and, you see, and that's the problem with the 21st century. And that's why I'm saying it's just like Corinth in that sense. We've got to get away from that. You know what I'm saying? Because we're the church of God and sometimes the Lord elevates the church to the point where like wham you know what i'm saying and it's the church of of what's happening now baby everybody wants to be there you know what I'm everybody wants to go you want to be seen there you know what i'm saying but not every come on now you know what i'm saying now the church is glorious and that will be seen when we get to heaven but if we're looking at externals and outward appearance and so on and fundamentally we are the church aren't we we are the church. So every time we point the finger at the church, every time we have a go at the church, every time we have beef with someone in church, we're beating up on ourselves. You know what I mean? Because we are the church. And I'm just saying, may God help us to get a perspective on the church that's much less of an immature perspective and much more of a mature perspective. Because it will change our relationships. To the church of God in Lewisham, I mean in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people. You know, other translations don't use holy people. What do they have? Saints, thank you. They have saints, which is synonymous with holy people. You know, a saint is not a dead Catholic that is venerated and worshipped like some statue. That's not a saint. <laughs> not in the biblical definition anyway. We are saints. You know what I'm saying? Believers are saints. The word just means someone who's set apart. Going back to what we said earlier, okay, you live in Corinth, innit? But you're in the, you also live in a church. You live in a city within a city. What, what you go to Ecclesia? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're, so you're from the Lewisham, borough of Lewisham, or at least you're from South London. We've got a few people that commute in from outside of Lewisham, but you'd be like, okay, so you're South Londoner, innit? Oh, I know them South London people. You know what North, people, North London people have to say about South London? Yeah, we, I know about you South London people. You know what I mean? But they ought not to be able to say that. They'd be like, oh, but 
Oh, you're from South, but you're different. <laughs> that's, that's what, that should be the cadence. That's what should be said. You're not saying, by definition, that's what we are. We're God's holy people. We're God's children. We are saints. And notice, it's the letters to them then, but it's also for us, isn't it? Because we're saints. We're believers. We're God's children. And um, we are also called to be holy in the sense that we are set apart and distinct. And it says, notice, to the church of God in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus and called to be his holy people, together with all those everywhere who call on the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, their Lord and ours. So, this is to them, but it's for us. So Paul refers to these Christians in Corinth as saints, even though they don't look like it. He still calls them saints. Even though they don't look like it, or even though they may not be acting, fully acting like it, he calls them saints. And this is encouraging, isn't it? This goes back to drives to the heart of the gospel that says we're saved not on the basis of our works, but we're saved on the basis of our faith in the work that Christ did. You know what I'm saying? And, and in that sense, we've been justified, you know what I'm saying? And like I said at the, at the beginning, we will eventually be glorified, which I, I can't fully get my head around when I'm in. But there's a process in the middle um, where, we'll be at, where we are being sanctified. So we, are, we, we have been saved. We, we, we are in a process of being saved. We are yet to be completely and totally saved. Paul's going to smash this in 1 Corinthians. It's like you are justified. You stand before God righteous in terms of your position. You know what I'm saying? But in terms of your practice, that needs to be worked out. But then if, And that's, that's sanctification. And then we're going to get to a point where, boom, you know what I'm saying? We're going to be glorified. We're actually going to be fully perfect. I know that because it says it in 1 Thessalonians 5, that when Jesus appears, you know what I'm saying, not only will we be like him, we're going to be transformed and that process of sanctification is going to be complete through and through, it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. May the Lord Jesus sanctify you through and through, it means completely. It's talking about glorification. Can you see that? So... Paul refers to these Christians in Corinth as saints, even though they don't look like it. This is actually more to do with their standing, you know what I'm saying, their justification, their righteousness because of faith in Jesus. But as, as I mentioned, these believers' standing wasn't reflected in their state. The big point is, as a Christian, our position and practice should be a mirror reflection. And this is what the Lord is working on in us. Our standing should be a reflection of our state. How many of you know that a dog barks? No great, no, no big news, right? Why does a dog bark? Because it's a dog. It's only doing what it's built to do. How many of you know sinners sin? You know why? Because they're sinners. How many, how many you know saints should be holy? You know why? Because they're saints. That's their standing. Godliness should be the practice because of our position. 
biologically speaking, you are your parent's child. Whether you act like it or not, right? You have their name. Spiritually speaking, you've been born again into a new family. You've got a new father. You're God's child. But the question is, do you look like it? Do you act like it? Do I look like it? I'm saying, do I act like it? So Paul isn't, he's, he's not... He's not buttering these believers up at this point, but he wants to plead with them on the basis of the gospel. You know what I'm saying? Which is going to be the basis throughout this letter. Is please be, just be who you are, not because you want to make God happy with you. Oh, you start behaving yourself, then God will be pleased and he'll save you. No. You know what I'm saying? It's who you are. And that is so helpful. The, that appeal on the basis of the gospel. First Corinthians chapter one, a little, you know what I'm saying, a little bit later in this chapter, we'll see. Paul says, it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us, notice, wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, our holiness, and our redemption. We sang it earlier. Love that song. Kian smashed it with that song. We sang it at, um, at um, LCM this week. You know what I'm saying? Jesus is the yes and amen. Like, you need anything in the Bible? Jesus. Well, well I, can get, I can get righteousness from Jesus. Yes. A a amen. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Jesus is just the yes and amen to everything in terms of all of the promises of the Old Testament. They all find their culmination in him. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and that is the, that's the mature response of a believer who understands, even though I flop and I fail and I fall, I can look to God through Christ because in him I find my righteousness. And someone said that when, the more you understand your justification, the more we're going to see it outworked in your sanctification because you know eventually you're going to be experiencing glorification and it works backwards because you know you're going to be glorified. They're like, okay, well, if, I'm, if that's me there, then it makes sense that I'll be me here, like me there. You know what I'm saying? And I'm progressively walking to that point and to that place. Can you see the mature perspective of the believer, of the genuine believer? And that's the heart of the believer, isn't it? Gospel motivation for godly living, just being who we are. So then... We see Paul introduce himself. We, talk, we see the recipient or the believers in Corinth, and then we get the greeting in verse 3. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. Sometimes we tag a text, grace and peace, you know, you know what I'm saying? Um, and it's two things. Obviously, you know, grace. Grace means what? I'm do all the work up here. What would be your definition of Grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Another way of saying that is? You receive what you don't thank you. Amen. Receiving what you don't deserve. Unmerited favor. Right? You're getting something you don't, you don't deserve. Um, but grace also has a double meaning. Grace also means, if you like, based on the fact that you've received something that you didn't deserve, there's an expectation from you now. You got something that you never had. You know what I'm saying? And it's divine enablement. And it's what Paul prays a little bit later in this book when he says, Lord, I got this fawn in the flesh. And the, Lord's like, and the Lord don't even answer him. The Lord just ignores him. 
Because he says, three times I pleaded with the Lord, and it's like the Lord never answered my prayer. And then it seems like on the last time, the Lord turns and responds to Paul, and, and Paul's like, Lord, take this, fo- this flesh out, the thorn away. And the Lord's like, no. <laughs> you know what I mean? And he says, my grace is sufficient for you. And it, what it means there is not my unmerited favor, although that has been working itself out. It's divine enablement that's going to help you to go through without me taking away this challenge. I'm going to give you overwhelming ability and power to endure through it. Now today, we don't want to hear that. We want to hear, Lord, take it, just like, why? Just take the thing, Lord, just take the thing away. You can see the pain and the anxiety and the hurt that it's causing me. Just take it away. And that's often what we hear preached. If you've got faith, yo, you can move mountains. What? That thorn. That's a minor. All you need to do is have faith and get that thing out of your life. Get that person out of your life. Get that debt out of your life. Easy. Three steps. <laughs> I mean, but what we, don't, what, we don't, what we don't often hear and what we don't want to hear is no. I'm not going to give you what you ask for. And no, I'm not going to take that pain or that problem away. But what I am going to do is I'm going to give you divine, notice, divine enablement. So that with that temptation, you'll be able to bear up under the pressure. You know, that's what it says. First Corinthians 10, right? There's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man. It's not new. You ain't going through nothing that no one else is saying. It's just different. You know what I'm saying? There's no temptation that's taken you, but such as is common to man. And God who is faithful will, will what? Beg your pardon? Not, to be, not allow you to be tempted above that which you are able but will, with the temptation, provide you with a way of escape. You know what I'm saying? And that escape is divine enablement, the ability to bear up. You know what I'm saying? Not get out. Like, <laughs> Okay. <clears throat> now, we won't fully enjoy verse 3 unless we are progressively walking in verse 2. And this is what Paul's going to unpack throughout this book you know what I'm saying he wants you know what I'm saying what the Lord wants is these first century Corinthian Christians and for us as 21st century Christians is to develop to mature to grow up and it's powerful because when people see you go through drama it's an encouragement for them because how many of you know this like like they're like people are going through like real difficulties you know what I mean? And as God's people, you know what I'm saying, we don't want to give them some untrue um, belief system that says God will just wave a magic wand. You know what I'm saying? We live in a fallen world. We live in a broken world. You know what I mean? And a part of that, God uses to help us to see that we need him. You know what I mean? It's actually a blessing. We haven't got time to kind of go into that, but There's something different and distinct between an immature believer who just wants what they want because they want it versus, okay, I see that, you know, the Lord has allowed this. He's sovereign and I'm his child. He's not going to allow anything to come into my life, into your life 
You know what I'm saying? Anything that happens is because he's allowed it. And often it's for a reason. It's for a purpose, isn't it? And, um, and that's the mature perspective. That's what we need, you know what I'm saying, in those times. And that's what we're going to be looking at over the next few months. Growing up in our salvation. For today, um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to highlight some of the big themes that Paul will be looking at throughout the book. Um, I'm going to try and do that in five minutes, so help me. <laughs> I'm going to do it by using some slides. You guys ever heard of the Bible Project? Yeah, the Bible Project. Um, the Bible Project has been very helpful in just dividing up this book into sections that are kind of easy to manage. And um, these are the big headings. There's a lot of detail underneath, but just um, in terms of getting a, a, a broad stroke picture of the book. Um, there are five sections, there are five divisions, chapter 1 through 4, chapter 5 through 7, 8 through 10, 11 to 14, chapter 15, and then it's, chapter 16 is really kind of like um, some final greetings. Chapter 1 through chapter 4 speaks about division. Division. And before we come to this first one, what Paul does is he defines the problem Right, chapter one through four is going to be this issue of divisions, and then he res then he's going to respond to the problem with the gospel, and he uses the gospel to speak to the problem. Do you know what I'm saying? And so, highlights the issue. You know what I'm saying? Defining the problem, and then he's going to respond to the issue with regards to the gospel. And 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 most of these um, issues that we're going to see. We find them in our relationships, in and outside of church, or should I say outside and inside, you know what I'm saying, our fellowship. Um, that our family is going to be affected by this. I mean, our community, you know what I mean? Because what we are is going to affect how we relate to our community, those outside. And then, again, our work and how it relates to all, so all of this stuff is, is practical and and, um, and, and, and um, relevant, you know what I'm saying, for us in terms of where we are at. <clears throat> now, divisions. Now, chapter 1 through chapter 4 is where this issue of divisions comes up. And you've got, you got, you got, you got, you got people in the church that are sectarian. Some of them are like, you know what? Well, I've got my favorite preacher slash pastor, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> and I follow Paul. You know what I'm saying? And then yeah, he's my guy. Like, I ain't even coming to church. What, Paul ain't preaching? Not on it. You know what I'm saying? Just let me know. When is he back on? What, next month? Cool. I'll just go, I'll just go church hopping till then. Or I'll just, I'll just go online over the next few weeks. You know what I mean? And then you've got this brother called Apollos, who the Bible says was mighty in the scriptures. And people begin to play them off against one another. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and then you've got the apostle Peter. You know what I'm saying? The traditionalists will hold to a man like Peter. Well, whatever you lot can say, whatever, innit? I'll wait till Peter comes from Jerusalem, car, from, more, from day, Jerusalem, like the temple, and that's where them men are from. And them men's, them men's are serious. They don't listen to secular music like you lot. They don't, they don't watch films, secular films like you lot. They're serious. Like, I'm waiting for... Division. And this is what Paul begins to speak into. I don't even have to apply it. It's like, wow, I should, but I'm not going to, because we're going to apply it over a process of time. And basically, Paul's saying, you know, this is not a popularity contest. 
soon as you start, like, this is my favorite, that's a problem. You know what I'm saying? Now, we can say, you know what, I listen to this person and they bless me. You know what I'm saying? But they don't bless you because fundamentally who they are, I mean, we come to listen to the word of God, innit? When we come to fellowship like this. And, and, and a more important and probably more mature perspective would be, you know what? That person really blesses me. May God help me maybe to be more like them so that I can be a blessing to others like they are to me. You know what I'm saying? You can, it's always helpful to look at a certain circumstance from different angles. And that's why I prayed, Let's, Lord, give us 2020 vision. You know what 2020 is? It's when you see things properly. You know what I mean? You don't need glasses. You know what I mean? You can see things for what they really are. So Paul chapter 1 through 4 is going to deal with these divisions. And, and how he does it is he, he defines the problem and then he responds with the gospel. And he says, you know what? At the end of the day, who should be the center of attention in church? You know what I'm saying? It should be Jesus. He's the one, you know what I'm saying, that we all should be excited about pointing people to. Because that's all the apostles. Because if you speak to Peter, Apollos, and Paul, they're trying to point everybody to Jesus, aren't they? Let Jesus be the superstar. You know what I mean? Be the one that everyone is excited about. You know what I mean? And everyone else, just servants pointing people in that direction. Another one of the big issues that comes up in chapter 5 through chapter 7 is sex. You know what I mean? And you've got, you got, you got the big issue in chapter 5 where you've got this guy. I mean, they've labeled him up there, guy. You've got, <laughs> you got this guy who's having sex with his, his dad's wife that seems like he's not his, hopefully ain't his mum. You know what I'm saying? Because that would be a mad thing. <laughs> Um, and Paul's like, you, and he, and it, it could, uh, it's, Paul's like, in the context, he's like, you lot, you lot are actually worse than people outside. You know what I mean? And the thing is, it was typical of the culture, because you can see that sexy looking woman in the corner. She's a prostitute. She works at the temple. And a part of their worship in Corinth was you having sex with these women that worked in the temple. It's messy. You know what I'm saying? And then what happens is the believers, obviously they get saved and they think, well, we can just keep functioning like that. And Paul's like, like no. You know what I mean? And he gives them instructions as to how they can adjust. And then you've got chapter 7, the whole thing about marriage, right? Which, is, which we'll, we'll get to. Um, because they were like, well, we're free in Christ. We can just do what we like. You know what I'm saying? At the end of the day, you know what I'm saying? This body... And the spirit, they're two different things. I can do with my body what I want. It's really the spirit that's important. Again, let's, let's not get bogged down. So he defines the problem, you know what I'm saying? And then he will respond with the gospel and he says, look, the sexual thing, you know what I'm saying? Like, if, if you're not careful, you end up, it's like sex is a dangerous thing. You know what I'm saying? It's a dangerous thing. And I'm tempted to, to make reference to a few things, but we don't have time. We'll get there. You know what I'm saying? But fundamentally, um, look at what happens when sex is not carefully considered. And it's not, I mean, sex is a good thing as long as it's in its context. You know what I'm saying? And I think we've all in some way, I know I've been, my life has been bruised heavily because my dad, like, never knew this. You know what I'm saying? And, 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 and thankfully, I've got a new Heavenly Father who's been teaching me over the past 30 years. Like, that's not the way to live. 
Can you live like that? Get ready for some serious repercussions that you will affect you, but will affect everyone else, your children, and it will affect those people that you're having these illicit relationships with. You know what I'm saying? It's like the Bible is bang up to date, and it does us well to give heed to what it says. So, <clears throat> sex. Then, chapter 8 through chapter 10, it seems like you've got this issue <laughs> with food. You know what I'm saying? And again, it goes back to culturally. They were a, a, before they got saved, they used, to, they, used to, they used to offer their food up to idols. You know what I'm saying? And then people were getting saved, and they'd be like, but wait a minute, we can't do that no more, because the Bible speaks, the Old Testament the Bible speaks about idols and how we're not supposed to worship them no more, and here we are offering the food to, like, sacrifice to, nah. And so you've got this whole challenge that takes place then. But then, as Paul tries to respond to it, he highlights the problem, you know what I'm saying? But then also what he does is, he says, look, and, and probably a, a more contemporary issue for us would be something like smoking weed. Well, you don't say in the Bible that I can't smoke weed. Like, where does it say that? Well, you don't say nothing in the, in the Bible about microwave ovens either, does it? You know what I'm saying? What does that mean? You know what I mean? But something really relevant could be like drinking alcohol. You know, there are some churches that are very staunch against alcohol. And some churches go to the other extreme and they're mad liberal when it comes to alcohol. You know what I'm saying? Now, we'll, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get there, but you can see how this can be an issue. Like, can I drink alcohol or can't I drink alcohol? Well, I can see that it's better not to drink alcohol because look at Wagwan and the culture. You know what I'm saying? But then again, you know, those who would say, yeah, oh, no, you shouldn't drink alcohol. Well, Jesus turned water into wine. <laughs> Jesus at the Last Supper said to the disciples, this is, I will not drink this again until I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. Sounds like Jesus drank wine, and then Jesus will go on to drink wine. You know what I mean? So you see how it can be, okay, we need to have a conversation about alcohol then, isn't it? All right then. And um, the next issue is, can be summarized as the gathering, like when believers come together, chapter 11 through chapter 14. And you know, you, you can go online and you can watch Again, it's the Bible Project. This is a whole video that they do. You can go online and you can watch it. I see some of you taking pictures. Feel free to do so. Um, um, I've taken some time to edit, edit them still because it was, it was work to, to, to get it to this point. So take the pictures if you need to take the pictures. <laughs> Might be a better thing. So when it comes to gathering together, there was an issue where some people in the gatherings were elevating themselves. They felt like they were more important and they ought to be heard above everybody else. And it was posing a problem. You know what I'm saying? And, and, Paul, and, and Paul defines the problem, you know what I'm saying, the root of the problem, and begins to say, look, again, like, in, like at the beginning, the reason there are divisions is because you're looking in the wrong place. You're looking at the wrong person. Back then it was, oh, this person's my apostle. Now the person's looking inward. I'm, I am important. You know what I'm saying? So, 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 so I'm going to be, you know what I'm saying? I want to be foremost. And if I step on you and I make you feel uncomfortable, then go to another church. You know what I'm saying? Like if you can't, if you don't like it, you know what I'm saying? Lump it. Like, and, I, and, and I'm saying, now obviously I'm over-exaggerating, 
But fundamentally, underlying a lot of the issues are, you know what I'm saying? One, division. Different people having different perspectives, and we'll see this next week. But there needs to be a unity that supersedes our personal proclivities. You know what I'm saying? Now, when it comes to the Word of God and things needing to be implemented, we need to highlight that, and we need to say, okay, we're not where we need to be, but we need to do it graciously. You know what I mean? And again, it's understanding that you might be at a place where you're mad mature, but then the other people may not be. And it's about bringing them and helping them and growing them. And if a person's really mature, they will know that anyway and not be arrogant, but be gracious and, and kind. And, you know, Paul in First Thessalonians talks about the fact that he was like a mother and a father to the Thessalonian church. And you know there's a difference, isn't it? It's good, go- it's good cop, bad cop. You know what I'm saying? Mom's like, oh, okay, don't worry. And oh, you've written da 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 and But when it gets to a point where it's peak and a child ain't listening, mom's like, all right then, you're not listening. Wait till your father gets home. And it's a different thing when dad comes in, isn't it? And so how we relate to one another in the gathering is really going to be spoken particularly to when we get to... Um, this part of Corinthians chapter 11 through to 14. And again, look, he's pointing to the gospel. He's saying, look, we're a body. You know what I'm saying? Everybody's got their part to play. It's appreciating that, you know what I'm saying? Identifying that and um, I'm working with that, isn't it? Um, that's, that's a mature perspective. And, and we ought to be building up one another in love, building one another, growing one another, maturing one another. Um, and then chapter 15 kind of concludes the book, and then you've got the, the, the final part in statements. Chapter 15 talks about the resurrection. And you had some in the church that were saying, oh, there's, like, resurrection, what? Coming back from the dead, that's the nonsense. Remember, they're Gentiles. They ain't got no Old Testament history. You know what I'm saying? A lot of this stuff is new to them. You know what I mean? And some of them in the church were, were saying, no, there's no such thing as a resurrection. How can a dead body come back to life? And, I mean, and Paul says, Paul defines the problem. And he, I mean, how can you not see this in the gospel? Because... You know, Jesus, you know what I'm saying, who fundamentally not only helps us to understand the gospel, he is the gospel, he died and he rose from the dead. And chapter 15, Paul's going to tackle that. And, he, and if you like, he goes full circle now. And basically what he does is he says the, the, the resurrection, if you like, Jesus' victory over death, which provides the basis for the gospel, the good news, the fact that he died and he rose again is, is, is what should be encouraging and inspiring and empowering us. You know what I'm saying? That there's life beyond this, beyond this life. And, and, and therefore, oh, okay, I'm going to live with you for the rest of eternity. So what am I going to do? Am I going to continue? Paul in Ephesians talks about biting and devouring one another like animals. Am I going to do that? And I've got, got to put up with you for eternity. <laughs> You've got to put up with me for eternity. So you got, you, 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 it, it does you well to find a way to work with me, isn't it? That makes sense. Again, it's understanding the end from the beginning. Because when you understand where we're going, it contributes to affecting how you live now. The whole thing about sex, you know what I'm saying? This motivation for sexual purity, when you understand that, you know what? A man and a woman coming together. I heard someone say something so powerful and I, the other day and I thought, you know, that is so powerful. How about this for inspiration to keep your virginity, yeah? How about you start loving the person that you're going to marry before you meet them? 
And now what I want to do, I'm going to keep my virginity. All right, thank you very much. Why? So that when I meet the person, and I'm saying that I marry, I want to give them my virginity as a gift. I remember my brother writing a rap. I can't even remember the song, so I can't even give you the thing so you can go look at, look at it. Just take my word for it. He wrote this song, and he's talking about this woman, how much he loves her, and how him and her, they walk in the park, and you don't see no other woman, and you know what I'm saying? He's just, he adores her, like worships, quote-unquote, the, 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 the ground that she walks on. Uh, ladies, how many of you would you want a man like that, right? And, he, and he's singing about how amazing she is, and oh, and he, like, he just can't control himself. And then he gets to the end of the song, and he's talking about a woman, his wife, that he's not yet met. And how he looks forward to the day when they meet. You know, romance ain't dead, you know. <laughs> so when you understand this, like sexual, this is, this, is, this is divine enablement now for me to go, rah, well, let me think again about my sexuality. You know what I'm saying? And what I'm going to do with it. I know what the culture's saying. And I, I, I know what Love Island is telling me to do. You know what I mean? And it seems so tempting. And, air, and you hear it, your kids say, but everybody else is doing it. You know what I mean? But that's an, that's an immature perspective, isn't it? Rather than a mature perspective. And then the whole thing about the food and brothers and sisters living together and learning to work together and handling things like food and money and, and I'm saying and relationships. May God help us as we're going through um, First Corinthians this year. May God help us to, to develop. May the Lord help us to mature. May the Lord help us to grow up. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you that it's life to us. And thank you, Lord, that we've been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed by the word of God. So we are your children. And you, are, you have done a tremendous work in us that has transformed us. And it's deep and it's real and it's true. We haven't been born again through the will of man, but by the will of God. And as children adopted in your family, you have a desire for us to live after that fashion. We're saints. We're set apart. We're different and we're distinct. And as our father, as a parent, has good intentions for their children, Lord, you've got good intentions for us. And, and the best intention is that we would be like you, that we would reflect who you are. We're made in your image. We've been remade. We've been recreated, Lord, in your image. Because we were, we had a fallen image. And we reflected the one that we served. But now we're in a different kingdom. Lord, would you help us? Would you, would you allow your work in our lives to contribute to making that a reality practically? As we go through this book in Jesus' name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.